Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfin. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestin Echo. Vientolum again omgrev or corn rachtum. Yatakshatorin Graven or Corson, Elistuhalagus Gimina Fracht, Gorokligs or Dukashin Echor. Only Venown, Thordorakshin. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Hello, I'm Adrian Weckler, and this is The Big Tech Show. Apple is going to scan photos being uploaded from your iPhone to iCloud to see if any match a database of known child sexual abuse imagery, which legally referred to here in Ireland as child pornography, if it detects a minimum of 30 such images, it refers it to a human reviewer who decides whether or not to then review it to authorities. Now, the big difference here from services such as Messenger and other online services that do the same is that this reaches down into your iPhone. In other words, because Apple controls everything, they've now crossed that line to scan your phone or the portion of it that's uploading photos to iCloud as well as the online bit. Now, it's US only for now, but Apple says it might expand this to different countries. So, This podcast is going to talk in very general terms about whether this is a sensible idea, sensitively done, or the start of a new era in a of Big Brother. And we're going to do this in a very civilized way because um, I'm joined by two very civilized people. Alex Cooney is the CEO of CyberSafe Kids. And Elizabeth Farries is former director of the Irish Council of Civil Liberties, who's now assistant professor of digital policy at UCD. Uh, Elizabeth, if I could start with you from a privacy and a civil rights perspective, is there any problem with Apple doing this? Um, First of all, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. Um, Yes, there are concerns raised um, with Apple's approach. And I I should say um, at the outset that this form of cryptography is not new. Other companies are doing it. Apple's move here is surprising because they've really described themselves as a holdout, as a defender of privacy and personal data. That's how they sell their iPhone in in many ways, as being uh, an absolute defender of that privacy. We'll get into that in a minute. Yeah, so I mean, it is a, a communications and branding issue, and it's been an app, like a disaster for them in the last week. I mean, that's why we're talking about it here, is people are so incensed that Apple is doing something that others are doing. What Apple is doing is slightly different, though. Um, they're creating perce- what you call perceptual hashing on the device itself. And, um, you know, from a policy perspective, from a public, public policy perspective, that's a problem because this tech is a giant um, black box. You can't look in it. You can't see what Apple's doing there um, explicitly. So back to your question, I think more more broadly speaking, um, there is a concern about, um, you know, breaking aspects of encryption or privacy um, for a whole host of rights that don't just include privacy. I mean, there are risks to giving access to our, our information from the perspective of data protection. We need to protect banking information, our phones, health information, things like that, Um, uh, free expression. You don't want to have to adjust what you're saying on your phone um, for this because you think someone else might be listening in. You want to be able to exchange ideas and debate, protest. 
I, I mean, I guess from Apple's point of view, they have gone out of their way to try and say that this is a very exceptional thing, that in general their adherence to privacy still applies. But I suppose there is a broader issue, and that is we do sometimes make exceptions to uh, our commitment to privacy when it comes to things like safety and security, don't we? Yeah, and this is an exception that's being made from a policy perspective and that is being built in by tech. So the concern when we think about all those rights that I just described is the slippery slope this creates, also called function creep, also called mission creep. Like what happens if you're sharing protest images that are against a government that has a problem with that? Or what happens if a government is deciding that you're sharing images that they deem are misinformation, um, you know, more autocratic regimes like so the greek fires for example um there are greek greek hashtags out there saying save greece and the greek government is seeking to prosecute some of those hashtags on, on, on i mean to be it, fair though isn't that a very different order of uh of a thing than child sexual abuse imagery well i mean like distilling it down to the child sexual abuse material specifically, that's not a hypothetical either. We're seeing um, what's happening with tech deployed initially to fight child abuse material online already being deployed for other reasons. So what I mean is tech originally built to detect CSAM has now been repurposed to create a database of terrorist content um, that companies can contribute to and access for the purpose of I mean, ultimately, society might decide that that is a direction that we want to go down. Well, if society makes that decision, then it needs to be subject um, to do public process. And that's not what has happened for Apple. What's also remarkable about what Apple has done here is that they didn't consult external experts from civil society. And that's really surprising because then they would have given been given the feedback from legal perspectives, from rights perspectives, and also in terms of the tech solutions they devised um, about whether or not this was the best way forward. Mm. Alex, if I could just bring you uh, in here. Um, you've done an awful lot of research, really good research, on just how kids in particular use their device. And I'll come to that in, in a bit. But would you not be worried that this might be, as Elizabeth describes, a bit of a mission creep that Apple has shown that it can, and in some extreme circumstances, will reach down into your iPhone, and that as good a cause and a reason as protecting against CSAM is, that this is now basically a barrier breached. I mean, we welcome this move because we feel it's really important that better safeguards are put in place and that big tech companies are playing their part. You know, we've got to remember that a lot of these environments were designed with privacy at the center, but they weren't designed with child safety at the center or user safety in general. So it's it's like they're having to try and retrofit their systems in order to ensure that, you know, children have a safer, more positive experience. Um, so we feel that, that a lot more needs to be done. We all know that the issue of uh, child sexual, sexual abuse material is growing. We've seen the numbers during lockdown. It's growing exponentially, uh, and that is frightening. And we need to be doing a lot more uh, technically and otherwise in order to clamp down. Where I would agree with Elizabeth is that it needs to be much more transparent. It needs to be regulated. Um, we need to know what's going on. So there shouldn't be all these questions and these debates. Like, you know, if you think of something like the banking sector, um, you know, they, they, they offer privacy. We trust them. We know that the, that you know that our transactions between the, us and the bank and, and the bank and the retailer that you know those transactions are safe, and yet the environment is going to be scanned for fraud 
uh, and, and other um, you know sinister uh, uh, activities. So you know we have a level of trust there because it's well regulated, it's well audited, uh, it is a transparent system. And if anything were to go wrong, you know it would be well publicized. We do not have that same level of trust in the tech industry because it isn't regulated, um, it isn't transparent. You know, I think what Apple is trying to do is important and they've made, uh, they've given some reassurances in that, you know, their head of privacy came out and gave a, an in-depth interview and he talked about, you know, there won't be breaches of privacy, uh, you know, that this won't be a backdoor. You know, banks do offer have that offer uh, this this uh, safeguarding of their backdoor, but it's it's just not well regulated overall. So it needs to be in that context. Yeah. I, I guess, and you you use the word regulated, and that is related to one of the fears around this. Regulation comes from society. At any point in, at any time of the year, uh, I could point you to a dozen senior politicians in this country and other countries who think that part of regulation should be getting the tech companies to, for example, provide a security backdoor to things like iPhones and devices. There is a substantial amount of public opinion that would back that as well. And I'm the question here is whether Apple has gone over the line to go into your device. And what I mean is, for example, if they're doing this uh, now, if they're partially going on to your device, device in a very specific way to try and detect photos that are being uploaded to iCloud. Morally, what from a child protection point of view, what is the argument against just going onto your iPhone? If you hold child sexual abuse material on your iPhone, Apple have demonstrated that they can go in and scan for it. What is the moral difference between doing that on your iPhone and just waiting for you to, to upload to iCloud? Uh, I mean, I think that it, it yeah, this is the, the biggest controversy, you know, the controversy around this is the fact that it's on the device and not just on the iCloud mm. and it is creating this access and that, you know, they have always had this, you know, they've always been big advocates of privacy and they've protected privacy. I, I, I suppose I'm looking at it from a child safeguarding point of view. So for me, this mm. is a positive move. They are going to contribute, you know, this is, you know, there are obviously. Yeah. I mean that that's not a trick question, by the way. I mean that that is also from the genuine uh, point of view of in protecting children. Now, Apple kind of answered that question in their own term. They said that no, the distinction they make, the reason they'll do it when you're uploading to iCloud, but not onto your iPhone, even though they could, is that your iPhone is yours. You bought your iPhone. That is your device. From their point of view, if you're uploading it to iCloud, that's a service that they control. And that's kind of in their position. And therefore, the the child sexual abuse material comes into their actual ownership or domain. And that's the reason why they scan it and detect it there. So they've made a distinction. So they are still maintaining this idea that even if you, you know, use your iPhone to store um, child abuse imagery, they won't go in and scan for it. But I guess this whole issue brings up some of these larger issues of, you know, if a company can go in and detect that in a somewhat privacy respecting way, should they do it? Yeah, you know? I mean, no easy answer to that. I mean, it's, I it's, think, everyone just has an I opinion think, well, on I it. Think this is completely new territory in so many ways, and I, and as you've already alluded to earlier in the interview, you know, we've got we've sorted these the debates out in, with regards to other areas like you know banking or uh, you know air travel. You know, we we mm -hmm. give up a certain level of privacy 
because we, we you know we've we've decided as a society that safety takes more of a, a of a precedence you know so we submit uh, to being searched we have our stuff uh, x-rayed we hand our passport details over you know and that is all in the name of protecting us and ensuring that we have safe air travel we literally yeah. haven't worked this out yet this is all such new it's an evolving uh, space I, I think, you know, the point I made earlier around having to retrofit is is a real problem. You know, they're trying to, you, you know, basically make it a safer environment uh, whilst also maintaining their profit levels. You know, so it is it is uh, it is a challenge for tech companies. What we need is this much more re- regulated and transparent um, uh, proposition so that we aren't questioning. I mean, we yeah, we, we also need a consensus among ourselves. That's one of the most difficult things about this whole area. I've always thought from years of reporting on it, there isn't actually really a neat consensus. There's always an uneasy consensus about what we will allow. I mean, Elizabeth, um, I'm going to give you one of the really hard <laughs> ones. Um, the, you know, the difficult overarching moral and philosophic question here is, does your privacy on a phone ever or, you know, in what circumstances will it trump illegal activity, such as the horrible act of storing child abuse imagery? Because that's actually kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah, privacy rights have limited limits. Um, privacy rights are limited for reasons like state security, public interest, health matters, protection of children. Um, but the limits can only happen in ways that are prescribed by law. So policing bodies, for example, can't conduct generalized surveillance of people's private communications in the hopes that they might stumble across illegal activity. Well, the the Americans do. I'm sure the Brits (laughs) do as well. I mean, Um, according to rule of law principles, um, generalized and and law. Isn't isn't that what the whole face off between the EU and the US is basically about uh, over, you know, data transfers and the Facebook case and Max Schrems? It's at its heart. It's a disagreement between the EU, which has a more privacy-centric view about its citizens' data not being indiscriminately scanned, and the US saying, no, we, we, we will do that if, if we think, because it's part of uh, a different way that we uh, enforce the law. Well, okay. I mean, to sidestep, it's interesting that you would describe it as a face-off, because I think when it comes to CSAM materials, there's a, a relatively... There's a level of alignment between the EU and the e- and the US. So the European Commission plans to allow law enforcement agencies to pursue, pursue technical solutions to encryption in order to detect CSAM. EC, um, the European Commission wants to expand its targeted lawful access of data on our private devices. So that's very much in line with what's happening in the US. Um, you know, Senator Graham has put out the lawful access to encrypted data bill. We're seeing consensus on either side of the pond with respect to CSAM. That the question is, is that the um, the best approach? And so, I mean, Alex, on the one hand, I, I hear you come out in support of the specific um, Apple technology, but on the other hand, you're expressing concerns about unintended negative consequences because of the lack of regulation that Apple is exposed to, um, if, it, if it were, for example, a public um, uh, governing body. And we just have to keep those unintended negative consequences in mind. Will the tech do something it's not supposed to? Will it hurt our rights, undermine our security, start to be used somewhere else by more autocratic governments? Will it be inaccurate? Will it create false senses of security for parents 
despite the inaccuracy? Will it put special interest groups at risk? There are a whole host of questions that were not um, resolved by Apple prior to putting this out. Um, Professor Maples at Georgetown has said um, specifying a sensible policy tech, uh, sensible policy for what tech should do is hard. Implementing it securely even harder is even harder, and we've already got experts who have come out and said what Apple could be doing better with this tech um, from a tech perspective, but also from a policy perspective. I, I think many of us would agree. I'm sure you would, uh, Elizabeth. That once you start dabbling with encryption, you start providing limited access uh, to uh, authorities into formerly encrypted services that kind of the game is up. I mean, you can try and control it to an extent, but largely speaking, once encryption is broken, it's broken. Um, I think maybe the question that is emerging here and that always emerges in these discussions is even if um, giving these new controls to police forces or governments or civil authorities, even if that results in some other bad things, if it, you know, the ones, specific ones that you mention, is it worth it to protect uh, kids and, and to protect uh, against CSAM? To me, that is kind of the essence of this. I mean, we, we can try and search for perfect technical solutions. But doesn't look like we're close to finding one. So ultimately, we end up having to make balanced choices. You're asking me that. Yep. I mean, um, I don't I even know if it was a question. I think it was just <laughs> yeah. a remark. Um, Matt um, Matt Greens um, at Hopkins has been in the media a lot about this, and he said, you know, why would they build this techno technology if the ultimate end result wasn't um, if the intention was um, to break encryption um, for further um, purposes. So, you know, they're saying it's only going to do this. It's only going to do this in a specific way, but we can't really take Apple at face value given the privacy attached to their own tech and given they've broken their previous promises with respect to data protection and personal privacy. Now, yeah. just to rephrase what you said about how to go forward, like we can't look at this as like, isn't this better than not trying to help children? My point here is I absolutely think CSAM is an abhorrent social problem. What I'm saying is we need to build policy that does the best work at protecting those children. And in doing that, we've already seen technical improvements suggested for Apple's app that are more narrowly um, tailored. Let's limit this tech to photo sharing. Let's move the on-device system off the device to remove risks of security breach downstream. Like, And then on the policy end, we need to look at deploying more robust digital policy processes in the beginning, which means producing data about efficacy and risk attached to this task. And that means bringing in the people that know what they're talking about to advise Apple before it deploys it, because that level of in-depth policy discussion will possibly pose different questions and send us in different directions in terms of how to tackle this harmful problem. Mm, yeah, just I, I think I'll ask you the question that I may have asked Alex already. Why? Where's the great distinction between on-device and off-device? Um, where's the distinction? Yeah, um, I, mean, it's, <laughs> I, I think it's the distinction. The distinction is that's the communications disaster for Apple. I think the theory is is like, yes, the private companies have access to the cloud. Yes, they're going to take your photos. They're going to scan them. They're going to hand them over to authorities. They're going to like harvest your data and sell them, sell it to commercial companies. But if you have a device in your pocket 
where you can consent as to whether or not that image, that stuff goes to the cloud, that's the line. Your device is your own. It's your own private space. But it's your own and it's your own private, even if you hold CSAM on it. But see, the way you've posed that question well, makes it very difficult to answer, right? Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's not a trick question. I, like, yeah. honestly, I'm trying to probe the difference here in overall terms, in moral terms, between on-device and off-device, I understand very clearly the distinction that Apple makes and that many others make in terms of uh, you know, the, the sanctity of your device and versus the cloud. Because you're right, we've given up so much in the cloud. Order. We kind of expect our stuff to be scanned one way or the other in the cloud. We don't expect it on our device. And that brings up dystopian fears of you know, just you, you, you know, 1984 and all the rest of it. But from a moral point of view, you know, from from in terms of rooting out CSAM, I'm not sure. I don't see hugely the difference between on-device and off-device. I, I just think you phrased that so well. Like, I think there are incremental moves towards that dystopian future where no private space is your own in our online world. And um, Apple's capitulation here to government pressure represents yet another step forward. It doesn't mean it's not already happening. It doesn't mean other big tech corporations aren't already scanning data. Um, it's just another step that has um, caused, a, um, I think it actually just produced an opportunity to, again for us to sit down, reevaluate the power of these platforms, their ability um, to deploy opaque tech backed by um, obscure technology and question about how those processes might be um, confused. I mean, uh, I think Alex, you said like Apple has come out in defense of the system and has been reassuring towards the public, but we need to remember that just because Apple spokespeople are defending it, Apple employees are not. And there was that Slack channel um, that was leaked last week of Apple tech workers, something like 800 messages raising serious concerns about Apple's decision to move in this direction because of rights. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's a point. I think yeah. this goes beyond Apple though, right? I mean, it's we're, we've we've had the debates around end-to-end -end encryption for some time. And you certainly in relation to CSAM, uh, and the inability to detect CSAM once end-to-end -end encryption is is put in place, and the concern is that you know more services are going to go down that route. And to me, there's a real concern that it's a little bit of a a, a step back from responsibility. You know, like it's you know I I look at big companies like Facebook, and it makes it easier, quite frankly, to you know it's less hassle for them to be able to step back and yeah. and say, well, you know, we're respecting users' privacy. And we're putting that as the sort of central uh, purpose of this service, and we want our users to trust us. Um, but in fact, we know if we take uh, something like WhatsApp, which is obviously already end-to-end uh, -end encrypted, you know, we know loads of children are on it, uh, and it frustrates um, me enormously that it won't, for example, come under the new online safety and media regulation bill because it's considered a private communications platform, and yet you can have mm. up to two hundred in a group. And we know that children tend to use it in a group. So the concern is, mm. the concern is that um, you know there is a lot of stuff being shared uh, in those channels that then can't be detected. So I actually think we need to bring this. It, we need to broaden it out from simply Apple, and we need to think again about this balance. Because at the end of the day, it is. It does have to be a balance between 
privacy and safety. We absolutely haven't got it right. Privacy is upheld higher, I'm afraid, because it's already uh, built into the very design of a lot of these products uh, over safety. And so for me, uh, a child who has been sexually exploited online and whose images and videos have been shared, that is probably one of the worst breaches of privacy that an individual uh, can experience. And it will never, you know, that is something that will haunt them probably for for much of their lives. And, you know, we know that this material uh, circulates the darknet. It's virtually impossible to remove. It can reappear and reappear, you know, hundreds of thousands of times. I mean, this is what uh, NECMEC is, the, the, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So I suppose I'm, I'm feeling myself getting heated up here because I think we are talking so much about privacy at the expense of safety. And I, of course, there is a huge role for privacy and we need to get it right. But we've got to, the balance is completely off center at the moment. I, I, Sorry, go I actually, on, Elizabeth. I had I had a question, Adrian, um, for Alex, just based on this. And I, I don't mean to disrail the conversation. I just wanted, but before I pose that question, I just wanted to say I do a lot of work and advocacy around image-based sexual abuse and was involved um, in the processes in Ireland um, in putting criminal legislation there um, in memory of Dara Quigley. And so I understand the deeply um, uh, the deep affront to dignity, to safety, and in a way that has lifelong consequences. It's an absolutely horrifying social problem. Um, Alex, you had mentioned the other day that in addition to deploying tech like in, uh, from Apple, there were, there were a host of other solutions and um, uh, options that needed to be exercised in partnership with that. And I was wondering, would it be okay, Adrian, if Alex shared some of those again here now? Yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead, Alex. So this is, these are alternative ways of tackling this problem. I don't know if Alex said they were alternative, but, but maybe something that could happen at the same time. I, well, I, I can would... I join your question to my question to Alex? Because I, Alex, just uh, one thing I was going to ask you is we're seated here today talking about Apple and we're talking about, you know, what the tech company could or should do and what we should do and was the response to this company, that company. Isn't there actually an onus on us as a society to actually legislate for this? Because we, one of the fr deep frustrations for me in reporting on Facebook, Google, Apple, Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat, all of these companies, we're all expecting them to take a moral and a regulatory lead themselves in, in many cases. And we're not prepared to really get into the nitty gritty of saying, no, you can do this and you can't do this. Do you know, like if, for example, the balance is skewed at the moment, in your view, uh, a little bit too much toward privacy over safety or child safety at the moment, you know, isn't aren't we a sovereign country? Can't we do something about it? I mean, it? I think we are trying to do something about it. I think we this is, you know, and 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 2021 is proving to be a really interesting year uh, in relation to, to to these topics that we're discussed discussing. I mean, Apple's come out with this announcement. Google came out with an announcement last week. TikTok earlier in the year. Instagram last month. This is the year where changes do seem to be happening, and I think it is in the context of regulation coming down the track. I think this is an industry that knows that things will have to change. They've had enormous power, enormous influence, uh, and, and- But we've, and let, we've them. let them. We, we have sat back and we've, and let, and we've them. let them. And the accountability you know. is not there. And, and that has to change. You know, that that isn't right. You can't think of any other major industry which operates in the same way and has the same level of power. So that does have to change. But, but maybe we don't know what we want. Maybe the we there isn't actually a consensus among <laughs> ourselves. Like we take uh, legislation like uh, the GDPR, for example, that comes into law. We you know we we talk about the 
pluses and the benefits of that all the time. That's something that came from, you know, collectively through Europe, but also through European directives. But in Ireland, for example, we don't really legislate that much for issues like this. I think this is, as I said earlier, it is new territory and it's taken us decades to get things right. If you think of something like road safety, you know, it took us decades to put in place the, the legislation, the public awareness campaigns, you know, all the things that the industry buy in, you know, those three things coming together, legislation, public awareness, industry buy in make all the difference. You know, it means that we can expect a safer experience on our roads. We know how to behave on the roads. Uh, we know, it, it, you know there's clear red lines in terms of crimes. Uh, industry has to put certain safeguards and it's all competitive. You know, so if our safeguards are better than yours, we're going to sell more cars. You know, we ha- that took us decades to work out. You know, we're trying to rush through all these changes because the, the digital environment has moved really fast. And, you know, in addition to that, you know, policy is changing. You look at something like the General Comment 25, which has been adopted by the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, which is basically saying children's rights online are the same offline, um, you know, which then puts an onus on all those countries that have signed that convention uh, to to uphold those rights in the digital environment, to protect those rights. There's an onus, a greater onus on government, Mm. there's greater onus on companies. And I think that's why we're starting to see these changes. But I think we, it's not surprising that we're caught up in this confusion in many ways uh, because we, we haven't quite worked out what we should. As I said, with the airline industry, you know, we've worked it out. We've decided this is more important than that. And therefore, we're willing to do, you know, would submit to, to, to this kind of uh, invasion of privacy in order that we're, we're safe. But we haven't quite worked out this, this balance. And I suppose it, for me, it's the retrofitting of the safety. That's wrong. We need to be, this needs to be, it built into the very design along with privacy and along with that transparency so that, you know, companies like Apple coming out and making these announcements, there is a trust that, yeah, they know what they're doing. They're going to, you know, like the banking industry, it's going to be regulated. Mm -hmm. That backdoor will be secured. Um, You know, it won't be easy to manipulate. Um, Of course, you know, to be fair to Apple, we should be fair to Apple here in the sense that compared to most of the big tech companies, they have a reasonably decent scorecard on, on trust though. and safety. Ah, well, relatively, yes. Relatively. Relative to, to, to Google but, and Facebook. And, and we Peter. hand over permissions, by the way, to all these companies without even knowing what we're... I mean, we give access to photos, we give access to cameras, we give access to microphones, and we just tick the box. And even tech, my even my good friends who are real tech experts, don't really know what they're signing up to. So how can the I know, but the, the, isn't the acid question there how much it actually really bothers? And this is a totally different podcast. <laughs> Maybe we'll do it some other time. But, 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 you know, there is an alternative view on that. That is, yes, we keep swiping. Yeah, 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 sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, no problem, no problem, no problem. But actually, how much does that actually really bother us signing all that stuff away? Because the, the proof is in the use, the user uh, uh, figures like how many people actually use Signal or Telegram in Ireland? Not many, right? And I've been like keeping track of this for a long time. Oh, I'm leaving Facebook. I'm going to go to Instagram instead. Oh, I'm definitely leaving WhatsApp. No, you're not. Because <laughs> all your friends are on it. Nobody leaves WhatsApp. <laughs> yeah. Like like what WhatsApp is now the infrastructure of Ireland. Forget about Facebook and Twitter. WhatsApp, there's no community association or parents group or sp- or sports club that doesn't have you know a WhatsApp group and. You know, the stuff that comes out. Anyway, sorry, we're heading way, way um, off topic here. But um, I take your point. 
absolutely, I take your point. I'm just wondering to what degree should we shine the mirror back at ourselves in terms of saying, well, that company is terrible or that, uh, uh, you know, that practice is terrible. We could actually legislate for it ourselves if we were so moved. But, but can I just, know? I know you're probably, I'm, I'm dominant t- talking too much here, but I would say that we don't know. I, I, we don't even know what we're handing over. So how do we know whether we mind, you know, like, if, if you if you look at something well you could look it up i mean i listen and i'm i'm not saying that terms and conditions and pages are you know i i know that they're, they're written in a way written. to yeah. try and bamboozle yeah. us and they're sometimes they're all caps yeah, no it's it and they're pages i mean it's it, you couldn't expect yeah. you're supposed to write them for an audience of 12 year olds and that uh, clearly that is not happening mm. but also you look at something like the digital age of consent to go back to gdpr and, you know, there was this huge debate in Ireland at the time around what it meant and, you know, the implications. It was completely misunderstood largely. You know, people thought it was about whether or not a child could have a smartphone, you know. And at the end of the day, are those companies still collecting that data and advertising to the the, the, the under 16? 100% they are because there's all these other terms and conditions that we weren't aware well, of. Well, listen, your survey, which I often quote, often, CyberSafe Kids survey from late last year, 82% was at the figure of 8 to 12-year-olds have a social messaging or, or a social media account, up from 65% the year before. Now, that was a survey, I think, of well, 2,000 that kids. That was our Safer Internet Day. We're actually about to, in two weeks, launch our next load of data. And I'm not going to say the number here, but yeah, it's it's, right. it's high. It's high. And these are okay. all under. So, But that doesn't happen in a vacuum. No. That doesn't happen. They're not tricking their parents. Their parents Most know. Most parents would their be par- you, you give your you, you give your kid, your 11-year-old kid, a phone or a tablet. You see them on Snapchat. That's not happening in isolate. You you know. So we need to be honest as well with ourselves about where, you know, where we are as a society and civilization in in you know in dealing with because sometimes the argument is from two polar extremes. One, there's one crowd in a, a you know mid-market tabloid, ban smartphones for anybody under 16. Absolute nonsense, right? Absolute hysterical nonsense. And on the other, on the other extreme, there's kind of well. You know, no communication. There should be no exception to any bit of privacy ever at any point, which is also extreme. And and it's a nonsense in terms of, you know, um, uh, how to run a society. There there has to be sometimes some security checks and balances. But we're trying to figure out what the what the balance is here, right? Elizabeth, sorry, you've been cut out of this conversation for the last five minutes. <laughs> I've, so, Adrian, if I understand, you're asking that should we explore legisla- legislating solutions to this problem? Yeah, I, and I'm, I pose that as a frustrated aside in terms of us always running around after ourselves and debating ourselves and politicians kind of sitting back and go, well, don't look at me. I haven't got a clue about all this tech stuff. I mean, politicians are um, making moves, um, as we discussed. But I mean, when you, I think the way you framed it is sort of like a, a good way to look at it. We have to think about legislating what, um, legislating encryption backdoors, that's dangerous. Encryption underpins all our secure transactions, health, banking, messaging. It's also a pillar of democracy. The UN High Commissioner says it needs absolute protections. Um, legislate, um, you know, Apple's tech. I mean, we don't actually know what it looks like. It's in a black box. It's hardly even tested. Um, legislate that Apple do something about the problem. Again, that's so vague that you can't really put that burden. I mean, developing tech to answer social problems is really, really hard and often unsuccessful. Building the policy architecture around that tech is even harder. And we're 
we're not there with Apple's solution yet. There are ways they could have done this differently. There were missed opportunities that are quite glaring from a public policy mm. perspective. And those are the steps that I think would need to be corrected prior to deploying this um, this tech to 1 billion users. Guys, I was going to have a whole other question about age verification, but uh, we've run way over time, even though it's a podcast. I know that sounds weird, but we have. But um, I'd like to thank you both very much for a very interesting and spirited uh, and civilized uh, discussion there. Alex Cooney, CEO of Cyber Safe Kids, and Elizabeth Farries, Assistant Professor of Digital Policy at UCD. And my name is Adrian Wecker. This was The Big Tech Show, and I'll be with you at the same time next week. Bye-bye.